Why don't you grab your handout things um, and you'll see we're on page two. Um, it's an all-in thing, so I'll try and pitch it in such a way that everybody gets something, but we'll see how we go. Um, as you've probably seen, we're spending today thinking through um, what kind of a church we are and what Love, Reach, Build, Send means. Um, and my concern was, at the end of today, we will end up, no doubt, with a whole load of kind of corporate to-do lists. We're thinking how we can better um, reach East Oxford, Oxford and the world, how we can better build and mature and grow and flourish as a church, how we can better send people out into everyday life, but around the world as well. And my concern was that the first talk, the love talk, where we're thinking about how much we ought to love God, that can end up being a something else we have to do, something that we need to kind of feel bad about, because we don't love him as we ought with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And so I wanted to tell you five stories from the Bible I'm trying to help us understand how much God loves us. And that, I hope, will be the kind of the spring, the foundation, the, the source of all that we're doing as a church and for today. Um, so if you go to page two, um, you will see five pictures. And I hope they are five stories that will make sense of our world. So can someone tell me what the first picture is, please? I'm thinking less than ten. It's not a trick question. What is it? It's a a house. It is. It's a home. Now, help me as well with an action. So, an action for home, please. Thank you. Let's go here. Okay. So, five stories that make sense of of our world is that God gives us, in the Bible, we see God gives his people a home, somewhere that they belong. So, right back at the start of the Bible, when it's Adam and Eve, the first people, they lived with God and they were happy. And they had rest, and they were safe, and they were secure, and there was enough food and everything. Yet they chose to walk out on God. And they didn't trust him, and they didn't love him. They didn't want him. And so they lost their home, and God moved them out of the garden. And the story of the Bible is a story of God's people looking for a home. Looking for somewhere that they belong. A place of safety and a place of rest. And so as you open the story of the Bible, you see God's people are a people who wander and who never quite settle and never quite feel at home. So in Egypt, they were rescued, but then they struggled through the wilderness day after day, month after month, year after year, looking for their home. And they get into the land, but they walk out on God again. They're removed from the land and they're scattered around the world in Babylonia and in Assyria. and God's people without a home, restless, wandering, painful, frustrating, exhausting, dangerous. And then Jesus says to a people who don't feel at home, he comes and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And you see, Jesus left his home, his place of security, his place of peace and rest, the place he had been for all eternity, forever, and he took on flesh, and he came to live among us and to die, so that we can have the home that we were made for, the rest that we crave, so that we can be safe and secure. Now for us, As Christians who live this side of Jesus dying on the cross, 
for waiting for him to come back, we're still strangers and it's still difficult sometimes. And we still feel lost. And we're still away from him in, in these bodies. And sometimes we feel quite different. Maybe at school, maybe at work. You know what it feels like to not be at home. And yet the Bible ends at the very end with a picture of the new heavens and the new earth place where we can be perfectly at home again with God, where we won't have to wander and struggle and feel insecure and not safe. But that is the world that he has for us. He gives us a home. He gives us a home. The second one then is he makes us clean. Now Hannah London, where are you? Hannah, is, is this dirty and that clean? Can you, can you give me... Pretty much. Anybody else know kind of Makaton signing? So I think that's dirty and I think that's clean. Okay, so he makes us, so we start off dirty and he makes us clean. The second way of understanding our place in the world. Now I'm not talking about muddy hands or muddy knees or muddy clothes. Was that bingo? Did you get one? Good work. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In a bit, mate. I'll say that. Um, I'm not talking about muddy hands or muddy knees or noses or spaceships. That's another one for the bingo. But I think most of us, most of us deep down when we look inside and we know what we're really like, we know that we're not clean inside. We know that we sin. We know the things that we do that we wish we hadn't done. The things that we say to people... And we could just pull them back in again and not say them. Or the things that we think and we would die, we would die if others knew the kind of things that we thought. And we can be selfish and mean and unkind and we can grumble and groan and grouse and and we think about us. And at the start of the Bible again, we were not dirty. In In the garden, the first man, the first woman... They knew God and they saw him and they walked with him and they were clean, they were friends with him. Then again, sin came in and it made us dirty on the inside. And Jesus came and it was as if he had x-ray vision and he could see inside them. And he could see inside you. He doesn't just see smarties. That's another word, people. But he sees what we're really like inside. He sees our sin. He sees our dirtiness. He sees that we are not clean. And he's very honest about it. And it's very painful for us to hear sometimes. And we don't like to admit it. But he looks inside. And he sees this. He says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Which means that no amount of scrubbing or showering or bathing or washing is going to make us clean again in front of God. Not on the inside. We we can't make ourselves clean, but Jesus can. And on the cross as he dies, he dies that we might be made clean. That we might be new people. That we might be changed. The Bible says this. The Bible says the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It's a funny thought, isn't it? Jesus' blood 
makes his people clean. Jesus' blood brings his people forgiveness. And where we are dirty, and where we look inside and we don't like what we see, and where we think we are too far gone, and where we're just not sure whether God will ever really love us or can love us, Jesus becomes dirty that we might be made clean. Jesus makes us clean. The third one, I hope you've got there, can you see, is what a judge would hold when he describes somebody as guilty or innocent. We're on 40%. You see, God is perfect. God is pure. God is so good. He is so amazingly good. And because he is so amazingly good and we are not good, because he is just, when he, he looks at us and looks at the things that we do wrong, the things that we say, the things that we think, he can't just pretend it's not there. He can't just pretend that those things don't exist. Because if he did do that, it would mean that he wasn't really good, actually. He wouldn't really be just, or pure, or perfect. And so a big question in the Bible is, how can people like us, who aren't good, be friends with God who is good? And the answer you see in the Bible, pretty much again and again and again, are these things called sacrifices. Now, can anybody tell me, if you are less than the age of 12, what a sacrifice is? We're going to go here first. Yes. Thank you. So there's a, it's when something dies for something else. Brilliant. Anybody else want to add to that? Robin, you were going to say something? You're just looking engaged. Joshua? I missed that last bit. Shout again. Okay, there's something being... Thank you. So maybe you might kill a pineapple for... An animal. Okay, you might kill an animal for... Um... Did you spot that one? <laughs> and what you've got in the Bible again and again and again, you've got animals. So week after week, month after month, year after year, animals would be killed instead of people. So there could be forgiveness. In some sense, taking away God's anger so a good God and people who weren't good could be friends. And then there was a man hanging on a cross. Because it turns out the blood of animals didn't actually work. To forgive someone perfectly, a person needed to die instead. It couldn't be an animal for a person. It couldn't be a pineapple for a person. It couldn't be a gruffalo for a person. But it had to be a person for a person. The ultimate sacrifice. And his name was Jesus. And so, because God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And so when now God looks at you, and he looks at me, and he sees you in Jesus. 
joined to him, not with your guilt and your sin, but rather as righteous and pure and innocent. He makes us innocent. Now we're going to go for a... First of all, he gives us a... Secondly, he... Thirdly, he... Makes us innocent, thank you. Fourthly, he takes away our shame. I think an action for this is... I think when we're ashamed, we try and hide. So, yeah, there we go. So I'm going to go there. Okay, so we're going to go home. Secondly. Thirdly. Innocent. Fourthly. We're ashamed and we... There we go. He takes away our shame. Shame is a very powerful thing, isn't it? There will be people in this room who feel ashamed now. And that shame will shape them. Again, Adam and Eve, when they realise the consequences of what they've done as they've not trusted God, when they don't trust, when they don't listen, when they don't obey the God who loves them, they feel ashamed and they try and cover themselves up. They hide from him and they hide from each other. Maybe you know something of that shame. Maybe you know what it's like when you feel ashamed and all you want to do is run away and hide. Maybe that's a practical thing. Maybe you're someone little. And when you feel ashamed, you run up to your bedroom and you shut the door and you hide under the bed. Maybe that's you as a grown-up and you feel ashamed and you try and keep people at arm's length. So they can't see you, they can't get into your life. And we hide from God and we hide from each other and we keep everybody at a distance. Well, for Adam and Eve, it had been a place of no shame, of perfect, pure vulnerability with each other. And then it got ruined. And they try and cover themselves with leaves. They try and kind of cover themselves up because they suddenly feel vulnerable and ashamed. And they try and cover themselves with leaves and, and then they need, though, for God to come and take away their shame. And so very beautifully, do you remember what he does? Anybody under the age of 12? What does God do when he finds them? How does he help their shame to be taken away? Nate, go on. He does care for them. How does he care for them? What does he do? Does anybody remember? What does he give them? He gives them something. Oh, a vest. Rest. He does give them. He does give them rest later on. Give me. How does he take away their shame? Cornelius. He does. What does he do? He gives them animal skins to wear. He gives them some clothes to wear to cover their shame up. And and I take it that's just a glimpse of what's to come again. A sacrifice that will be needed to cover our shame forever. You see that? Isn't that beautiful? A glimpse of the sacrifice that's to come. So this time it wouldn't be an animal that dies, it would be a person who dies on a cross. Dying a shameful death, dying a cursed death. And they'll be mocking and spitting and flogging, they'll be nailing to wood. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. 
and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so because of his shame, because he died naked, vulnerable, exposed for us, so he took our shame upon himself, and so we can start to reimagine who we are again. Where we feel shameful, we can know that our worth and our value is not in what we've done or not done, or even what's been done to us, but in the Jesus who died for us. The one who takes our shame away. Fifthly, fifthly, he marries us. We're going to go for a wedding ring. Sometimes in East Oxford you get weddings. Okay, got that name? You can stop now. East Oxford, tick. And we all kind of know God loves us because I think whatever age we are, that's the kind of thing that we will talk about at home. I'm sure that's true for most of us. We will talk about it. We will sing about it. That's what Christians are meant to think. But we can miss how extraordinary it is. We can miss how extraordinary it is that God marries his people. So just imagine a husband and wife. And she's so good to her husband, she buys him presents, they have dates, they go out together, they make time for each other, they love each other, and it all looks great. But, but then he finds out that she's loved all kinds of other men as well. And she's been giving them presents and having dates with them as well. And it's so painful for her husband to hear because, because it hurts so much. But when we sin against God, it is relational. And it's easier for us just to think that we've broken some rules and we've ticked boxes that we should not have ticked and we've done things that we should not have done and we've transgressed laws and those things are all out there somewhere. But again and again and again and again the Bible talks about sin as us being unfaithful to God. It's the way the people of God run after other gods because we think they will satisfy us and we think they're the things we need. And this really hurts God. It's when we think, I need money, I need stuff, I need riches, I need savings and those things are where I'll put my trust. They're the things I need the most. If I have them, life will be sorted and they don't work. It's when we think, if I have enough friendships, if I have enough people around me, if I'm liked enough, then those are the things that I need and they will satisfy me and they don't. And we think, if I can just have popularity, if I can have enough people following me or fame or notoriety in some way or, or my name up in light, then that's what I need, but they don't work. Or, or if I can just get the grades or the percentages or the letters after my name, they're the things that I need. If I just put my faith in them, if I just get them, that will be, then life will be what it's meant to be. And the Bible says it's as if, it's as if we've run after other gods, other spouses. It's, it's not just the rules that we've broken, but it's as if we're loving other gods. And the thing is, God is the husband who looks at his people and he sees how easily we run after other gods. 
And he knows about it and his heart is broken by it. And we hurt him. But then Jesus says, or Paul says this about Jesus. Do you see how powerful this is? Jesus says he is the groom at a wedding. And we are the church. We are his bride. Paul says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And we can forget that the bride he is marrying, we can think they are kind of pure and lovely. And they really, he kind of deserves them and they deserve each other, but the reality is, what are we like? How have we run after other gods? We are unfaithful, we are two-timing. But he still loves us. And then you get the glimpse at the very end of the Bible. It says this, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. You see, at the very end, and we are perfectly married to him forever. Despite what we're like, despite what we've done. And so there are five stories from the Bible that help us make sense of the world, that help us see something of how much God loves us, of the kind of God he is. And where we were wandering and we were restless and we were homeless, Jesus came to take us home with him. Because he loves us. And where we were dirty and filthy and unclean on the inside, Jesus took our dirt that we might be clean and pure and know him because he loves us. And where we were guilty and condemned and deserving of death even, because he loves us, he came and made us innocent again. He acquitted us. He took the judgment that we deserve on himself. And when we were ashamed and we felt disgrace and embarrassment, Jesus came and died a shameful death that we don't need to be ashamed anymore because he loves us. And because, and where we were unfaithful and where we were two-timing him, and where we still run after other gods, he, he comes and he marries us. Because he loves us. So that we might be his forever. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful? We deserve bad things. But he gives us blessing. He is kind to us. And so as we think about a ch- being a church that wants to love, reach, build, send, don't miss that today needs to be driven by our grasp of his love for us. If we're a church that doesn't get that, then either we will do those other things for the wrong reasons, or more likely we just won't do them. Because we've forgotten how much he loves us. Let me pray for us.
And then maybe we'll pray. Why don't we pray in groups? 14% to go. Um, And then we shall sing, hopefully. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came from his place of security and rest. He came from home with you to live and to die for us that we might have a home forever with you. Thank you that he came as the pure and perfect one and yet he took our dirt, our sin upon himself that we might be made clean. Thank you that he came as the one who was innocent taking our guilt upon himself that you might now see us as joined to him and so innocent. Thank you that he was the one who came and died a shameful death. That our shame might be taken away. Thank you that he came as the the bridegroom who came to marry an unfaithful wife who so easily runs after other husbands. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your extraordinary love for us. And we pray for our time today, we pray that your love for us would increasingly shape us as a church, shape who we are, shape how we think, shape what we do and what we say, but shape how we feel as well. As we see your love for us, might we be a church that loves you. Be with us, we pray, in your Son's name. Amen.